Welcome to the Sidious Mag Podcast. I am your host, Chris Chavez. The Sidious Mag Podcast is presented by Garmin, and I'm so thrilled to finally partner with a brand that I've been using for the past six years. I don't know about you, but when I'm running solo or working out, I get the best out of myself with some fire playlists. There's just something about moving to the rhythm of my favorite beats that gets me through even the toughest of workouts. That's why I love my Garmin Forerunner 245 Music. It's not your average GPS smartwatch. With music storage right on my wrist, I can honestly say that it takes wearables to the next level. I sync up my best Spotify playlist, and then I go out there and I hammer out some miles. If you think that the benefits stop at just music, well, you're wrong. They've got a lot of built-in sports apps that monitor your recovery time, the body battery energy monitor, and much more. I've got all the tools I need to push that extra mile. And you know what's really music to my ears? My Forerunner 245 watch lasts up to six hours in GPS mode, even when my songs are playing. Basically, I can run longer without worrying about it dying. If it's in smartwatch mode, guess how long it lasts? up to seven days. Seriously, I fall asleep without plugging it in because I know it'll be ready to go when I wake up. All of that is to say, I literally couldn't ask for a better on-wrist companion. So take a look down at your wrist right now. Maybe you've had that thing for a while. It's time you treat yourself and upgrade today. Visit Garmin.com and check out all their latest offerings. I've been rocking the Forerunner 245 music, so I'd recommend that. A quick moment now to shout out all of the supportive listeners that helped make this show possible. Many thanks to everyone who has backed us on Patreon. Welcome to Annie Batcher and Adam Short for signing up within the past week. If you want to join the loyal legion of backers that keep us going strong, sign up today at patreon.com slash SidiousMag. Your contributions help us enhance all of our different shows, whether it's this one, More Than Running, Run Your Mouth, or even some of our YouTube content. If you haven't checked out our YouTube channel recently, MacFleet is making movies on there. Watch it in 4K and be blown away, mostly by him trying to keep up with these amazing runners. We're using the funds to get better across all platforms. On Patreon, you can donate anything from a dollar a month. We even have some people who donate $20 a month or $25 a month. And for those of you who are unable to commit to a monthly contribution, you can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. Feel free to include any message to let us know why, and I'll shout it out in the next episode. It could be because you're enjoying this as you run. Maybe you're training for something. Maybe I'm keeping you company as you build up to a spring or summer race. You can consider Venmo a virtual tip jar. Those who chipped in this past week include Andrew Gilchrist, who wrote in and said, Hi, Chris. I just broke three hours at the Eugene Marathon. I'm 54 years old, and if I can do it, I know you can too. Thank you for the great Sidious Mac content that helped me get through my long and short runs during my build. See you this summer in Oregon. Hell yeah, Andrew. You've inspired me. I just signed up for my fall marathon. I'm getting after it, and we'll have to catch some miles together in Eugene. Last but not least, if you've got a second, leave a little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to let us know what you love about the show. This helps new people discover the show when we populate onto the top charts, and it lets future sponsors know what you think and why they should get behind the show. Thanks to everyone for their support. My guest for today's episode is Garrett Scantling, and this past weekend, he secured his place for the 2022 World Athletics Championships in Eugene, Oregon by winning the USATF Combined Events Championships. His 8,867 points not only gave him the victory, but also moved him up to number three on the all-time U.S. list and makes him the seventh best decathlete ever in the world. 
He finished fourth at last year's Tokyo Olympics, but the most interesting thing about his path to success is that he took a break away from the sport after 2016. After finishing fourth at that year's trials, Scantling decided to retire and then signed a deal with the Atlanta Falcons as a receiver for their 2017 spring camp. He also spent some time with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and when his NFL dreams didn't pan out, he ended up taking a desk job as a financial advisor. So we go through all of that and what eventually drew him back into the sport, which it's very clear that he really loves and wants to see grow. He'll be joined by Georgia junior Kyle Garland, who broke the NCAA decathlon record this weekend, and two-time Olympian Zach Zymek on Team USA for Worlds. Alongside them, Scantling is looking to put the United States back on the podium for the first time since Ashton Eaton's retirement. So without further ado, here is Garrett Scantling. All right, and now we welcome on Garrett Scantling to the podcast. And first multi-events athlete. I've been doing this for 300-plus episodes, and first multi-athlete. I think it's time we, we, we show the combined events some love. So first off, congrats on officially securing your spot for, for the World Championships, taking the, the victory this past weekend at the USATF Combined Events Championship in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And but moving on up in the all time list. Yeah, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's been a, uh, a whirlwind couple of days here, just trying to get back from competition and, you know, traveling and all that. But, uh, I think today was the first day it kind of sunk in and, and allowed me to kind of appreciate all the work and, and execution, honestly, that I did in that decathlon. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So are you still tired from it or like, when do you kind of get, get back to work? Like how much do you allow your, yourself to take some time off to, to, before you finally get back into training for now the world championships in, in July? Right. No, I'm definitely still feeling it. Uh, I don't know if it's my age starting to get up there or what, but, um, I try to just kind of ease my way back into to training and stuff. I don't want to just kind of go all out and, and end up hurting myself again, but you know, I am human and I have to rest. And so the last couple of days I've been hanging out with my dog, just enjoying my alone time here. And I usually get like that after decathlons, it's such a high, you know, like you're on like a adrenaline's pumping, everything's going, the crowd's there. And then once you're done, it's just, oh, I'm done. I need to relax. So I'm, I'm still in that stage. And, uh, I'm going to start getting back to running probably tomorrow and, and getting these legs moving again if they can. <laughs> so number three on the U.S. all-time decathlon list, I'm looking at the point total, 8,867 points. Only Ash Neaton and Dan O'Brien are ahead of you on the U.S. list. Number seven on the world all-time list. So has that part of it sunk in yet? Yeah, I think uh, so. That's probably the first thing that hit. It was just like, all this work that you put in to be the best, basically, you know, everyone, everyone at this level of sport is vying to be the best. And so I'm, I'm just kind of proud of myself for the mindset that I've had over the past year and, and, you know, stepping up my training and, and wanting to, to prove to myself that I can be uh, in the conversation with some of the all-time greats. And so just having this competition, it's really given me validation of everything that I've, put back into the sport after retiring from it. Um, and so I'm, I'm just, I'm on cloud nine when it comes to just being proud of myself and, and proud of the work that's been put in, but there's definitely work to do. 
<laughs> always is. The title of world's greatest athlete always gets bestowed upon like the Olympic champion that comes away with, with gold in the decathlon. And historically, I mean, if those names ahead of you, like on the all time list, like the United States has always kind of made it a point to have that title with, you know, Ashton and, and Dan O'Brien and even Trey Hardy, like over, over the years as well with his world championship uh, success. So what is it about like the U S decathlon, I guess, team culture, or just the, the fact that the U S takes itself so seriously in being the best at the 10 event, uh, you know, combined events. Right. Yeah, no. And I think the uh, NCAA system has a lot to do with that. Um, you know, just getting that nice structure from these awesome coaches from all over the world and, and having that type of competition every year just kind of sets us up for almost like a, a breeding ground for, for decathlon, right? The NCAA. And then you, you just kind of blossom them all and watch them grow. And just like Carl, Kyle Garland's an example. I mean, just going to Georgia and, and being in that system around those athletes from all over the world, um, you know, just kind of really helped them grow mentally and physically. And um, I think that's like the most important thing for us as American decathletes, why we've always kind of set the standard is that we've been doing it at a high level for a long time. And, um, you know, there's definitely, obviously Damian Warner is the the greatest athlete in my opinion in the world. And, and he came away with gold with a Olympic record last year. So uh, there's definitely people that are still we're chasing, you know, and, and we can line ourselves up with, so it's not just Americans battling Americans and stuff. So there's, uh, there's talent really everywhere in the world. Um, I know that um, the NCAA kind of makes it seem like the Cathalon is, is turned up here, but like Aiden Owens, for example, he's from, he's a Puerto Rican uh, decathlete and he broke the collegiate record before Kyle broke his. So like the Cathalon is just going up. The scores are getting more ridiculous and, and, uh, the talent is there. And so I think with the structure of the NCAA, it's going to, it's going to blossom some awesome decathletes in the future. Was that the thought after Ashton retired that there was going to be like this wave of talent where the point totals just start getting even, even higher because, you know, he was on top of the world in 2012, 2015, 2016, when he went back to back, you know, Olympic gold medals and broke his own world record in 15 defends the title in 16 and retires shortly thereafter because for him, like he'd accomplished everything that there was, you know, to do in the sport. And from the outside looking in, a lot of people maybe expected that record to stand for a while. And then Kevin Mayer comes out and breaks it in 2018. So did, was Ashton opening the kind of the floodgates or what exactly happened in the decathlon that led to all of this success afterwards from, you know, on the global scale. Right. Yeah, no. And I, even, even I was surprised by Kevin breaking that because I thought Ashton to be untouchable, right. A bunch of people did, um, you know, he was just such an awesome athlete. He was so fast. Um, he's so smart, mentally tough. And that's exactly what you need in a athlete. Um, and so I think that just a lot of people were, were looking at him and they could almost mold themselves after his, the way he approaches things like who I brought up, Aiden Owens, he's extremely fast and you can't really teach speed. Right. And you, if you have the speed and you have strength, you get the right coaches and the coaches can mold that into an awesome decathlete. And so I think that 
not only have the athletes kind of evolved in their way of just wanting to be a part of the decathlon, but the coaches and the access to everything that and, and the knowledge that they have and their ability to to mold a, a decathlete from a from a hurdler or a, a just a jumper to a thrower to a, to a, a miler like it's 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 amazing like it's it's really awesome to see and um, in my opinion I probably didn't think that so short after uh, Ashton retired that his record would be broken um, but you know it just kind of gives me like I said, validation in my training to know that I've gotten almost to that conversation and I am right there with them. And so um, that's, that's just a huge step. And I think that, you know, the more work that I put in and the, and the more competitions that I had, the more realistic that that kind of looks for me to get up there with all time grades too. So. Yeah. So in terms of just like, initially, if someone were to like, have told you like, there's shoes to fill with Ashton in 2017. At this point, you're out of the sport. We'll get to discussing your break, but how big did you think those shoes were? And then now, like keeping with the same sort of analogy, how many, how many more sizes bigger is our Ashton shoes than yours? <laughs> okay. All right. So, I mean, honestly, when I retired, I was at 8,200 points. You know, I, uh, I didn't really see anybody that could, challenge that 9,000 point barrier. I knew it would be a little bit until someone found another uh, Ash and Eaton, right? And so uh, that was actually one of the reasons why I decided to come back was because I saw that kind of those shoes were were up there to fill. And I felt like I had the talent to do so. And so I just had to actually put in the work this time around and, and do what I knew I had to do. When you say how, how much bigger are his shoes than mine? So I recently went from a 12 and a half to a 13, because for some reason my foot gets wider. And I'm going to actually say that, that his shoes are probably a half size, maybe a size bigger than mine at this point. Um, just because of the fact that that mental toughness, and I think I'm still working on that, but it was something that I, I admired so much about Ashton Eaton was just how, if he needed to do something, he went out and he did it no matter what, there was no excuses. There was just I want to get these points. So I'm going to go out there. I'm going to run this. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to jump this. It doesn't matter. And so I think that I'm still trying to get to that point in my career. And, and I'm definitely a lot better than I have been in the past. And I just have so much more room to grow in that area. And I think that's kind of why he's definitely still a, a couple steps up. So he was very quick to congratulate Kevin Mayer when he broke the record and with the decathlon, especially like we just see this camaraderie after, you know, everything is sort of done after this past weekend, when you move up, you know, kind of, and are getting closer to that upper echelon of, of us decathletes, like, was there any sort of communication yet from, from him or like over the past couple of years, as you made this return and, you know, last year, especially like has Ashton been somewhat there as, as a resource? I mean, he's always been kind of just there, right? I mean, I follow him on Twitter. We follow each other. We were, we always, uh, if he's at, I think he works for Intel now. So when he's at the track meets, like the trials, um, I saw him the day before my competition and I got to talk to him, you know, just kind of about family life. And and he got to talk to me about how, you know, I came back and how he's, he's excited to see what I do and, and how I evolve and, and grow in the sport. So um, just having this wave of, um, former decathletes like Trey Hardy and Dan O'Brien, they, uh, Brian Clay, all three of them reached out to me after this, um, uh, competition last week, just telling me how proud they were 
of just having someone to carry on this tradition that they set forth. And uh, it's it's a, an honor for me. I mean, from the moment I stepped foot in the sport in 2011 in college, I had no idea what to expect. And I always heard of Trey Hardy, I always heard of Dan O'Brien and Ashton Eaton. And so they were my role models and someone who um, is so competitive at heart, I think that I wanted to be like them, you know, and, and push my scores to, to get up next to them. And the fact that I've passed a few and, and I'm getting so close to the others, I I'm, I'm just honored. The only, that's the only word I can think of. And I'm, I'm really blessed to have their, the path that they set for me and just kind of continue this, this tradition. I went back and I kind of like did look to sort of since, you know, Ashton retired and the year, the world championships and how they've like kind of panned out and the U S has been missing on the podium and sort of this time around with it being on home soil and how well this past weekend went, like, it's not totally out of the question to be shooting for those medals. No, I, I, and I was talking to Kyle and, and Zach about this. Like we finally have two and a half months before worlds, you know, and we're probably the only sport us in the the marathon or the 10 K who need that that space to peak again, you know? And so I'm, uh, I'm really excited about what we can do because this gives us time to, to relax. And then it gives us time to kind of refocus and, and get our bodies ready to, to peak again. And so I, um, I know that I wasn't peak as it, it, crazy as this sounds, it doesn't seem to me like I was peaking at the time of this competition. I had a, an oblique tear, um, a pretty significant four centimeter by two centimeter tear in my internal oblique uh, three weeks ago. What? So I'm, yeah, I, and I had the MRI, everything. I couldn't even cough, couldn't even sneeze, like all that hurt. And so just after putting in so much work, I don't know if that helped me. Who knows? You know, you never know with that kind of stuff. Maybe it gave my body a rest, something like that. But either way, I think that us getting this rest and this time to refocus, it's going to allow us to be at our very, very best at the right time. And so medals are obviously the goal for this year for all of us. And, and so I think that just me being able to, to lead them and, 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 you know, just attack it on our home soil too. So the crowd's going to be incredible. So I I can't wait. I mean, I'm super excited. My whole family's going to be there. My girlfriend's going to be there. My cousins, my everybody. So I'm, it'll, it'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. So w- there is a trade-off to sort of the the event being this past weekend, where at first, like, you know, the announcement gets made that you guys are going to be separate from the regular U.S. championship. So from a performance standpoint, yes, you do get the extra rest, but from the sort of spectator standpoint, I'm sure it wasn't what competing in front of, you know, thousands of fans at Hayward Field would have been. So overall, how was sort of that side of things this past weekend? Because we're able to follow it on, you know, Twitter or tune into some of the USATF stream. But, you know, again, to, you know, what we're hoping to do with this and sharing some of your story and and what happened this past weekend, it's like the multis deserve a little bit more more shine. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You know, like last year, uh, at the Olympic trials, I thought that was incredible. The exposure we got, the the attention that we got, I thought it was something that we all deserved, uh, all 16 of us who were there. And um, so I honestly, when they started talking about moving the championships away from the main uh, in, in Oregon, I was kind of the one that was 
ah, well, this, I want to grow the sport, right? I believe that decathlon is one of the most beautiful things that you can do. And it's one of the toughest things that you can do to your body because of just how diverse each and every event is. And so, you know, I, I have a, a fond appreciation for it that I want to share with the world. And so I think that I was one of the ones that said, I think that we can, we can handle this and peak again and, and, and just kind of do what we've been doing and have it in Eugene because of the, uh, you know, spectators and the, the recognition that you get from it. But after competing and kind of being in the, the more chill atmosphere that was more of a live stream than anything else, I mean, so everyone could watch back at home. Um, I enjoyed it. I did. I thought it was great. I, it was a rolling schedule. So it was nothing like my last decathlon that I had at the Olympics where it took 12 hours a day to finish. Like it was just for you get there at, at 9 a.m. and you leave at 9 p.m. Like it was just the most strung out thing that I've ever done in my life. But being able to to go 30 minutes after another and, and having our own schedule, I think, was was really game changer for us. And, um, you know, just having just being around the guys again, I thought that that was also incredible. I, like you said it before, there is a thing that's just known that decathletes have camaraderie together. And, um, you know, we had our own locker room there and just we were spending the day. I mean, it was just us and our families that were out there. And it was pretty cool. It was pretty neat to to experience. I want to say it was one of my favorite competitions I've ever been a part of. Just I know the score was the best ever, but just, you know, mentally, I think it was the, the one of my favorite competitions just because the decathlon is is more mental than it is physical. And if you can just be calm and, and hanging out with with your friends and and just, uh, you know, doing something that you love, I think that that's the most important thing that, that you can have in sport. And that's the reason why I do it. So um, I, I really enjoyed the, the the setting of it, how well it was put on. You know, the, the referees were on everything. There was really nothing that we had to complain about. And so I'm. I guess I, I am a believer now, and that this is this might be the right thing to do for us. <laughs> Feel, it feels like practice, then, in that sense. But exactly, I'm curious exactly. why. And this is just might be a silly, dumb question, but why is the preference to just have it rolling, and as opposed to just like the long, longer, drawn out, you know, 12, 12 or so hours? Because I guess some thinking would be like, well, you're maximizing on rest in between events, but then is it just too much waiting around? Yeah, I, I honestly think that, like I said, it's more mental than it is physical. That's just a decathlon for you. And if you're just sitting around thinking your heart's racing, you're, you know, I mean, obviously some people can handle that. Some people can, uh, you know, compartmentalize, which is something that I'm very good at. But at the same time, it's still exhausting having to do that. And so the, the quicker that you do it, the quicker you get event to event, the, I feel like the better that you perform just because, it's, it's easier to turn the page and just move on to the next event and then move on to the next event. And then just know that by this time you're going to be done. Like you, you have no more work to do. And so I think that's what was so easy about it um, was that one, you're hanging out with guys that you enjoy competing with. And then two, it was event after event. We weren't just sitting, waiting, our legs weren't getting tight. We weren't having to rewarm up. Like you also have to think about that. Like we're out there seven, eight hours. So if, if you cool off or cool down for even 30 minutes, you're going to have to warm up again. And that's kind of annoying. And if, if it's a rolling schedule, you're always doing something with your body. You're always, you know, um, exercising. I think I, I wear an Apple watch sometimes when I compete just so I can know how many calories I burn. And, and 
Uh, first day was like 5,300, I think. And the second day it said 51. So I don't know how accurate that is, but still Apple watch was telling me all this. So I knew that, um, I can see my heart rate the whole time and just, it's just a lot to, to focus on. And so I think that the quicker it goes, the, the more relaxed you are and, and better that you perform. What do you have for dinner in between those two days? <laughs> a lot of pasta, man. I'm always, I'm a pasta guy. So even if it's like mac and cheese, spaghetti with meatballs, I had chicken Alfredo the day before spaghetti, the day in between. Um, I just try to get as many carbs in as possible and, and just snack on stuff. I mean, it's not really, um, world indoors. I, I'm, uh, got food poisoning. So I've been kind of trying to, to stay smart about what I eat during competition so I can actually make it through the whole thing. Uh, cause I had to withdraw, uh, before day two in world indoors because of food. it was so bad. Um, and so I'm, I try to be smart about what I eat, but then once I'm done, I can have my pizzas. I can have, I can have my sushi. I'm, I eat sushi a lot. I had sushi last night. Um, so I'm, I like to eat, but I have to be smart when I'm, when I'm competing or else it'll bite me in the butt. <laughs> this episode of the Sidious Mag podcast is also presented by Hydro, a state-of-the-art rowing machine designed to transform the way you work out. Named best connected rower in the Men's Health Home Gym Awards, Rowing on the Hydro works out 86% of major muscle groups compared to only the 44% from cycling. That's twice the benefit in half the time. It's a perfect low impact workout to add to your training cycle for both endurance and resistance training. I've actually seen some of the top professional marathoners using Hydro as a way to swap out their easy mile days to work up a little 20 minute sweat row. You can use a 10 minute breath row as a warm up or cool down before a big workout or Tackle one of the workouts on the Hydro. I know one of the things with at-home workouts is that you spend a bunch of time trying to figure out what class goes with what. Hydro provides the best full body workout. You don't have to figure out what classes to pair together. It's so much work because you're getting upper body, lower body, and core all in a single workout. Hydro's workouts are filmed live outdoors on waterways around the world from Boston to Seattle to Miami to London. Plus, one membership comes with unlimited profiles for the whole family. So you'll have access to live and on-demand workouts, including rowing, Pilates, yoga, strength, conditioning, and more. With Hydro, you're guaranteed to get an incredible workout and experience a full body endorphin high. It's the Hydro High. Learn more at Hydro.com. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com. And for a limited time, you can use code Sidious100 for $100 off the rower, and that's stackable with any of their current offerings. Visit hydro.com and use Sidious100. Back to the show we go. So we could go kind of, you know, one event at a time, but I'm, I feel like I want to touch more sort of on your personal story. So to kind of wrap up, you know, this past weekend, what was the hardest part? And then also how did you overcome just sort of the, the mental side of things when it, you know, that injury from three weeks ago? Yeah. I, and honestly, I think that's all the same. I think the hardest part was dealing with that injury because I felt awesome the first three events. Um, and then after the shot put, you go and you warm up for high jump. And I took one weird high jump and I pulled it a little bit. And so it got into my head like, oh goodness, this is still the the pain that I was feeling before, because like I've had pain, I had a, a bone spur last year. I had ligament tears in my ankle the year before. So I've had pain that I could kind of push through, 
but this pain was something I've never experienced before. It was like someone jabbing like a knife in my, in my side. So it was, it was something that I, it was so acute that I could not push through it. And so that's what was always in the back of my mind. Like I can't stretch it to that point because then if I get to that point, then there might be no coming back from it. And I might have to withdraw some, some, something like that would try and creep in. And then of course it's a battle in your mind at the same time. So you're having to fight those words off and say, I prepared for this. I went to physical therapy and torque sports performance for, for two weeks in a row. And uh, the guy Tom there, he was awesome. We were, uh, you know, doing everything we could possible to, to make, make me ready for this event. And uh, it turned out great, you know, in the hurdles, I think before day two, uh, or day two, when I was warming up was probably the most nervous, I, nervous I was because I actually tore it in the hurdles. And so I put a, um, uh, a wrap around my, my midsection and I was warming up and I started feeling good and good and good. And then it completely got out of my mind. And then I went out there and I ran a PB in the hurdles. And so like, it was, I think that PB in the hurdles kind of set me off to have uh, a worry-free day when it came to this injury, because after the hurdles, even in the pole vault, I didn't feel it. And I don't know if it's because of the adrenaline that was running or, or what, but um, I would definitely say that was the hardest part because I've never really had to deal with an injury like that through a decathlon. Um, but I, I think it just made it that much more rewarding because it showed that I could get through it and not only just get through it, but perform the best I've ever performed while dealing with it. And so that, that kind of shows me how much mental toughness I've grown over the years. Um, because I can tell you in college, I probably would have made up an excuse and, and said, I don't want to do this. I'm not in the mood. I don't want to run a 1500 right now or something like that. Um, but now, you know, I've, I've, I've come to appreciate everything that is the decathlon and, um, that's, that's a hard thing to do, but when you're at this level, you have to be able to do it because, I mean, it is the thing that you love and it's the thing that you're really good at. So, um, yeah, it was, like I said, it was an incredible competition, probably one of my most favorite, uh, competitions that I've ever had. So you kind of pinpointed me right where I wanted to start, which was at, at Georgia, how did you sort of decide to, you know, fully commit to the, the decathlon? Because, you know, there is sort of that moment where, you know, a young athlete gets to college and you see like, oh, they're really good at the, you know, 110 hurdles or something like that. So like, just do that or just the, you know, 400 or so how did you decide to kind of stick with it? Even at times when you're like, I don't want to be 1500 meter trained. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, when I first got there, um, I always kind of knew that the, the colleges wanted me for it to be a decathlete. Uh, I was a high jumper and a pole vaulter in high school. So it was kind of like that, that those are the two hardest events to learn. And so just having that as a base, and then I knew I was going to grow and mature. I think that's why everyone wanted me to do the decathlon. And I never really had a thought to do anything else. Um, I just felt like this was going to be my ticket to get through college, get a degree. Um, and, you know, just we'll call it quits after that, because there was no way I was going to run this mile or this 400 after college if I didn't have to because that's how much I dreaded it almost. Um, but just over the years, just being able to develop, um, it was still a, it was still a tough time. Just as a college student, you want to hang out, you want to go do these fun things, go to football games, everything. And training really wasn't a, um, at the forefront of my mind at the time, but I actually, um, I give a lot of credit to Michael Webo, um, who was my training partner, at Georgia for four or five years. And, um, he, he competes for a team Estonia. 
but uh, he came in and he just changed the culture. And he gave me that sense of wanting to compete with somebody. And so at the same time, we were, we were best friends. We did everything together. We ate meals together, everything, but we were our biggest competitors. And so I think that that's what also helped me kind of step my game up. And um, it stepped my coach's game up, Petros Kipriano. He, he wanted to be better. And so I think that that's kind of what, what changed the culture over there. And then um, I always knew that there was more work that I could, could have done in college always. I mean, I even thinking about it right now, just, there was always an excuse. There was something in the, there was always something there. And so nowadays I try to limit every, everything that is an excuse and just know that this is my job. What you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. It's just as simple as that. I mean, track is the most measured sport in the world. And so um, I think that's why it's my favorite now, because it's, it is what you put into it and there's no shortcuts, especially in a decathlon. And I think that that just having that is, is huge. And it's, it's something that I've never felt in anything else in my entire life. It's just that feeling of knowing I did that. This is what I can do. And I know I can do more kind of thing. So. And now kind of this past weekend, like Kyle ends up making the team, but when you're in college, like, was there sort of like a ceiling that you also looked at on the pro side of things where it is sort of Ashton and Trey, like are still around. So breaking into like, you know, the world championship, and, and Olympic side of things was, was a tall order for a college athlete, or did you kind of also just see them as, as competition? There must've been a turning point at some, at some point. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, 2012 trials was when I just kind of realized that I need to kind of start training a little bit harder for this. Right. Because they had the Brian, we had Brian, that was the last time Brian Clay was there. And then Ashton was the young, you know, star and, and then Trey Hardy was there. So there was, there was that floating space, that was the, the third place, basically, that, that someone could sneak into. And I think that 16, that was the place that everyone was vying for. Um, but I, I just kind of think that I needed time to grow and and be uh, mentally as strong as I needed to be, because I don't I don't think that I was I was there to be able to to go to those type of competitions. I, I don't think that my mental toughness was there. I don't think that um, I definitely tried. I think uh, one year. Actually, no, other than 2016, I don't think I ever went to a U.S. champs for decathlon because I was either hurt or I didn't want to go (laughs) because I really don't believe that I was ready for that type of competition yet. And and I'm glad that I kind of uh, let it simmer a little longer to make me appreciate exactly what it is that I have to do to be ready for that. And so um, nowadays, just competing in these competitions and knowing that I am the one that everyone's kind of coming after at or coming after. I think it gives me a little sense of just, I I know what that is, you know, from the outside perspective of, of wanting to get where I am now. Now I have to appreciate it. Now I have to work hard to keep it. And so um, definitely wish that I would have made more teams, but at the same time, I don't think that I was ready to. And so I think that was the reason why I did it. We keep honing in on this mental side of things. What did you like? What what does that look like in terms of just actually, you know, getting better at it? Is it meditation, visual visualization? Like what, what exactly were were or even you know conversations with a sports psych or your coach? Like what was being improved upon all these years to get you to that right headspace? So I, I honestly think that just being able to when I retired from the sport, being able to be in the real world and understand that 
you get these type of feelings and everything. And it just all comes down to what you actually want to do with your life. So, I mean, uh, anxieties, pressures, they come with everything. I mean, in, in financial advising with deadlines and being able to get customers, earn your money, it's the same as the feelings you get in a decathlon. It's just that the reward was not as big for me. And so when I finish a decathlon, I've never felt anything like that in my entire life. Just being able to say, I did that, like I'm, I'm on top of the world. And so um, I think that just chasing that feeling and knowing that no matter what I do in my life, I'm going to have anxieties or I'm going to have, you know, just, just problems and, and pressures. So I just have to, to know that I am strong enough to overcome it. And so when I compete, I, um, you brought up visualization. So I always do that the day before decathlons. I'll, this is, <laughs> I don't want to give away my secrets, but, um, I visualize every event and, uh, I just kind of say, here's my goal. This is what I want to do. This is what I can see myself doing. Um, and just kind of go from there and, and calculate the score and say, okay, this is a cool score to have. This would be awesome. This doesn't have to happen. Right. I, I just kind of want to put together a great decathlon. That's it. Just go out there and execute. And so that's what I do the day before, but then the day of everything is simplified. Everything is one word execution. I need to get out. I need to be faster. I need to aggression that everything that goes through my head is simple and straight to the point. And I think that that's what has evolved me into the decathlete I am today is because I am able to simplify it because at 2016 trials, uh, my head was going every which direction. I didn't know what to do. I completely forgot to eat the first day. And so when I got to the 400, I had no energy. I, I was shot. I think the last hundred of the 400 was like 16 seconds. Like I couldn't move. And so um, it's actually Ashton who reminded me that I, he hasn't seen me eat all day. And so after kind of that realization that it was time for me to kind of grow up mentally, and this isn't a physical game as much as I think it is. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely been a work, a work in progress. And I think I've made huge strides over the past couple of years, just the fact of just accepting what is what it is I have to do. I got to do it no matter what, why freak out about it. Right. So that's kind of the way I approach everything is let's just go get it done. And I feel great afterwards. So um, I think that's that's a huge lesson in life, no matter what you do. Uh, and it's something I'll take take with me for the rest of my life. And I'll pass down to my kids and anyone who will listen to it is that you have the power to do what you want to do, no matter what thoughts creep into your head. And so um, that's kind of what I live by. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm proud of myself for getting to that point. What was the score you wrote down for this past weekend? And did you exceed oh. it? <laughs> I want to say it was like 86 something, 87. Uh, and so it was not, it was not as much as I scored, which is crazy. It's still crazy, but like the events that I PB'd, it, PB'd in, the hurdles, the discus and the, um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, long jump. Those are the three events that I have been trying to have my breakthrough in. And it just so happened that, you know, when you visualize, you, you calculate one breakthrough, you don't calculate three, right? Because you can't put together a perfect deck like that. But it just so happened that in my week events that I, I performed the way that I thought I would and or the way that I wanted to. And so that's kind of what helped me kind of get over the hump. And I was super consistent in every other event. And so that was huge. I, I just was 
it, it, that decathlon took a lot of patience because um, Kyle, he had an incredible decathlon, right? But we are competitors. We push each other um, and we're, be- we're really good friends, but we are competitors. And so um, I think he was in first from the second through the eighth event. Um, and so that takes a lot of patience, right? Because someone's in front of you, someone's visually doing better than you, the whole competition. And so in my head, it was, it was a great growing point to just know I need to stay consistent with everything. And as long as I'm consistent, and then at the end, I finish strong, which is what I always do, then it'll work out the way that I wanted to. And I think I took the lead after pole vault and then going into javelin, that's one of my best events and then finished off with the 15. And so that's kind of, that was, that was huge about this event was, was working on my patience. <laughs> a quick break now to tell you about our sponsor, Therabody. Calling all you athletes and weekend warriors out there, are you looking to cut down on hours of rest and recovery as you push for that next level in training? Recharge your legs like the pros with Therabody's revolutionary new Recovery Air Jet Boots. Recovery Air Jet Boots are the world's most advanced pneumatic compression system ever created. For years, runners, bikers, and everyone who spends hours on their feet have had to suffer through leg pains and aches after a hard day of work. Clinically proven treatments like the compression boots that pro athletes use have been far out of reach. Recovery Air is a groundbreaking pressure massage for everybody, anywhere. With Therabody's exclusive fast flush technology, Recovery Air flushes out metabolic waste more fully and brings back fresh blood to your legs at three times the speed of competitors. Faster cycles means faster recovery, so you don't have to wait for the legs to be feeling great. Not just good, great. Therabody's Recovery Air Jet Boots are the first of their kind. They're truly wireless for anywhere on-the-go recovery, boosting circulation and radically reducing muscle soreness. And thanks to Recovery Air's super intuitive, easy-to-use one-touch controls, recovering faster is a breeze. I took about a three-month break from running, and now that I'm getting back into a regular routine, I want to make sure that I'm able to tack that next day's run feeling strong and recovered, so I simply kick back, turn on some reality TV, and sit in my jet boots so I'm not feeling that last runner workout the next time I get out the door. And if that's not enough to convince you, maybe it's the fact that 250 professional sports teams exclusively use their body products and they're trusted by world-class athletes like NBA All-Star Paul George, superstar footballer Trent Alexander-Arnold, and champion golfer Colin Morikawa. Sit back, relax, and recover. Go to therabody.com slash Sidious to get your Therabody Recovery Air today, starting at $699 or as low as $59 a month with a firm. Plus, with Recovery Air's 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping, there's no risk. Again, that's therabody.com slash Sidious. Check them out today to get your legs feeling great. Not just good, great. Back to the show we go. So we can go back to, to the college day. So you win the indoor title in 2015. And then of course the fourth place finish at the Olympic trials. And it could, it goes both ways with sort of that, that heartbreak. It's either the, you know, the college kid who's thrilled that he got that close or two, just like you miss out on an Olympic spot by like, you're the first, first person out and it's just total heartbreak. So you got yeah. sort of both those emotions to balance. You decide to just, you know, call it a career and, and retire at that point. Was it, were you getting any sort of like pull from coach Petros and be like, no, 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 like slow down. Well, now that I ask him, yes, he was just like, how could you do this? Like, <laughs> why, why, why you have so much talent left and you just throw it all the way. Um, but at the time, um, I think that my, mentally I was not in the sport anymore. And it was just kind of something that I didn't want to do anymore. Um, 
And I actually went and, and tried to play football. Um, I got signed to the Atlanta Falcons for um, mini camp and, and part of preseason and uh, got cut from them, went to the Jaguars, tried out, got cut from them. And then I stayed home and then I was like, athletics is done. I don't need to be, you know, doing anything else. And um, so there was always something in the back of my head that I was leaving something in track and field. Um, but I don't think that it took, I think I needed time to appreciate it. And I think that that was the biggest thing um, in just appreciating the sport of track and field, because before I didn't, I didn't appreciate, I thought it was some way to get through college, you know, something I was good at, but that I didn't necessarily enjoy as much as I should have. And you can't do the deck if you don't enjoy it. <laughs> you're just doing way too much to yourself if, if you're getting to that point. So, um, you know, it was definitely just, it took time for me to appreciate it. And I know that, that I did, who knows what could have happened if I could have stayed and, and kept training. But then again, I also um, attribute my body being so healthy to that period of rest that I had and just being able to, to get fat and, and gain weight and just do whatever I wanted to. And then, you know, hitting at it again and almost rebuilding a new body kind of thing. And so that's why I think that these decathlons feel easier than they ever feel. Um, it's because that I took that time off and my body is rested and, and I'm able to, to, you know, prolong my career now. What did you enjoy the most out of that NFL dream chase for, for that brief period of time? I think what I enjoyed the most was the lesson that I brought that, that, that no one cares if you don't put in the work, right? They're just going to move on from you. And so it taught me really how to be a professional in sports, just being around like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Muhammad Sanu. I could see how they were true professionals in their sport. And that if I don't go in and put the work in that I know I have to put in, someone else is going to take my dream from me. And so that's kind of how I've approached this whole second coming of my track career is that I have to put in the work and that if I do so, and I go out and I execute, then nobody can stop me. And so far, it has been everything for me. It's it's helped me achieve all my goals so far. So um, I think that that's the, the recipe for success for me and that I have to keep doing that going forward. We obviously see when players get cut on hard knocks and just like how dramatic those <laughs> moments are. But I guess like you being in the seat, how, how was that? <laughs> it was so weird. Like, it's just like, they've already made up their mind and you want to, you want to like give them excuses like why their mind is wrong, but it doesn't matter. And so I didn't really say anything. I was just like, Oh, okay. Well, that was, I think I said that was fast or something like that. And they're like, yeah, well, we just got to move on to, we, we need, we have needs at other positions, which I understand it was the, the Falcons and they had the best receiving core in the country. So like if I would have went to the Jaguars first, it could have been a, a different story. And I was told that by, the coach at the time. And so, um, but just the fact that they had already taught the playbook, they had already taught all this stuff to all their undrafted free agents. It just didn't work out that way. And so it was, it definitely hurt. Let me tell you, I mean, I was working for it for a while, like for four months, five months of just pure football workouts. Um, and I know that I had the speed and the, the agility for it. It was just the, the real time playing speed that I didn't have any experience with. And I didn't remember it being so quick. You have to think everything's got to be so fast and so decisive, like knowing coverages, knowing when to switch your route, knowing all this stuff, the playbook. And it's just like in track and field, all I had to do was turn left or, or muscle memory, stick a pole in a box, swing up. Like it just wasn't so, uh, 
it wasn't so tough like that in, in, in the book sense. And so, um, yeah, I, that it was definitely a sad moment, but I think that I learned a lot from it and just learned how just cutthroat businesses and people can be if you don't put in the work that you're supposed to. So don't ever give them that excuse to, to be that way towards you ever again. And so that's kind of what I take from it. Yeah. We're seeing Devin Allen kind of go through it right now. And what were you seen as like the track star, like trying to make it in the NFL. And like, I know obviously like the big thing that people gravitate towards on like Bleacher Report and all these places is like to pull the quotes from like, yeah, DK Metcalf or, or uh, Tyreek Hill just talking trash about how they're faster than anyone in the world. Right. But it, do you get the sense that, you know, people within the NFL circle have an appreciation for the talent of track and field athletes? I think they do. I, I you know, I think it's always going to be a head button thing of who's faster just because it's a bunch of, um, you know, dudes just wanting to be the best and competitive and, and alpha, whatever, you know, so that's how it goes. Um, but I, I, I'm going to go with track speed every time. Like it just doesn't, I mean, that's just a different type of speed. And I know that, that there's different types of speeds in football too, like quickness and agility, all that stuff. But, um, they definitely have an appreciation for it. Uh, I think they always used to give me crap for coming in fourth. Uh, and I think it made me, uh, appreciate that a little bit more and learn from that. And they're like, ah, oh, how could you miss, miss the team by one spot? Something like that. What didn't you do? Um, and so that was a, it was, that was differently. I think, I think that just the whole atmosphere was so different from track that it's hard to like, you know, compare the two, like with track, you have an opinion, right? It's always your body doing everything. And it's an individual sport, any way you want to look at it. So like, I can talk to my coach, I can tell him, you know, uh, advice or how I'm feeling. I can sometimes me and Petros argue. So, I mean, we argue, we bicker like brothers, like it's just how it is. But if you do that in football, it's over. Like it's, they're like, what did you say? Like something like, it's more like a hierarchy. So that was definitely a, a transition point that I needed to hit too, that, uh, just kind of keep your mouth shut, Garrett. I know you're not used to it, but uh, just to kind of stay out of all this this uh, problem, trouble that I don't want to be a part of, that you, you need to realize it's a team sport and that we all have to work as interchangeable pieces. So it was just, it was very different. It, it's all very different. And um, I try not to get caught up in all the uh, DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill uh, hoopla, but Tyreek was actually on my um, uh, Barcelona World Junior team in 2012. And so I got to, you know, meet and hang out with him a little bit. And I, I still think like Trayvon Brumell reached out to him over Twitter yeah. and he never answered it <laughs> ever. He never answered he knows. it. And then DK Metcalf comes around and oh, I'll answer it right out the gate. So I just, he knows, he, he knows deep down who, who would beat him and who wouldn't. Uh, Marvin Bracey's another one who messes with him. So like, I, I know who's got the real speed. Yeah, I know. So you, you take a desk job for a little bit. What, you didn't like wearing a suit and sitting at the keyboard? <laughs> I, I was actually pretty good at it, okay? So I'm, I'm a very social person when I need to be. And um, being a financial advisor is all about being a people person and just knowing how to communicate with, with people. And so um, I actually, when I went to high school, we wore a shirt and tie or a polo and, and khakis every day to school. And so um, I was used to wearing that attire. Everyone who I was working with, went to my high school. Like it was a, it was a cool, um, kind of business they had going on there. And so 
it was a very good opportunity for me. Um, I want to say that I got like uh, South or the South producer of um, of the year or something like that. I think it was for actually it was of the the quarter. It was like the southernmost producer of I couldn't tell you. My mom's got the award at home. <laughs> it's got a principal sign on it, like everything like that. So I, I, what I'm saying is that I was good at it, but it was just I have ADHD. You know, I can't sit still. I never have been able to. And so just sitting behind a desk made me feel like school again. And uh, while I am, I know that I am book smart and I can get through classes and stuff. It's just the fact of just sitting there that just drives me crazy. And so um, the longer I did that, the more it allowed me to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And I think it was 2019 running national running day when everyone was posting their stuff about uh, running and, and everything. And I posted a video of me running at Gotsis, uh, which is the decathlon meet in Austria. Uh, and that was the best competition that I've like atmosphere wise been a part of. And just having the music blasting everyone up in your face, like clapping for you and being awesome. And so, um, you know, just having that, I, I realized that I, I did start working out a little bit and I could feel where my strength was and I was stronger than I had ever been. And so I was like, maybe I should not waste this. You know, I only get one chance at this prime part of my life. So why not just go use it? And so I'm super glad that I did. Everything kind of played out. Petros accepted me with open arms when we were back at Georgia. And, um, you know, it's just been it's been a blessing so far just with how everything's turned out. And I think that that goes just with the hard work that I've put in. Was that first call back to Petros? Like he was like, I've been waiting for this. I knew this moment was going to No, So I swindled him at first. Okay. So he, they were coming from, um, they were coming for regionals here in Jacksonville and um, it's at UNF every year. And I said, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you about something. And I told him I wanted to come back to coach. And so he was like, oh, yeah, of course, like I got a position for you. We'll get you there. Just just come in in August and, and you'll be ready. And so um, I had to get everything together. This was in the end of May. And so I had to, to move my whole life from here to Georgia. Um, and so when I got there, I was like, you know what? Let me just go ahead and tell him it was the first day I got there. I was like, Petros, I kind of want to come back. I know you got a lot on your plate, but I want to give it a shot to see if I can. And he's like, ah, I knew this was coming. I knew it was coming just kind of gave me a little bit of crap about it then. Um, but he made me train by myself for two months. And so I had to do everything that everyone else was doing. So I had to do my training in the morning and then go and coach what everyone else did in the afternoon. And so it just gave me that fact that he wanted me to prove to him that I actually wanted to do this the second time around because he wasn't about to take the excuses again. He wasn't about to go through what we went through going through college. Um, and I think it just kind of proved to him that I actually appreciate what I'm doing now and I want this to work. And so after those two months, he put me in with the, the regular group and then everything just took off. So just kind of like uh, it, the perfect storm with everything. And uh, it, it worked out really well. It's very evident in this conversation so far that you very much love track and field and, and you know, there's a, there's a passion that's shining through right now. Was it in those sort of, solo workouts where you kind of started to find that flame again for it? I think so. I mean, I honestly, I had my roommate, Carl Saluri. He's a, another Estonian Olympian. And um, he would be out there with me just some days training, some days helping me just coach me through it. Um, but I, it really did give me an appreciation because I, I basically had to, to relearn everything. 
And I mean, I know three years, you still have the muscle memory and stuff, but my body had to relearn it. And so that was tough. I was getting injured a lot, like just like with flexing my hips in the way that you have to do it with the hurdles and, and my shoulders starting to work for the pole vault again. And so it was a lot and it was a lot to go through, but just after like training for maybe three or four months, my body got used to it and, and everything was fine again. Um, and so I think that it did help me appreciate it. It was my first time putting my new like mental toughness to the test. And so that was, that was huge for me just to know that I got to do this on my own. I don't have anyone helping me through it. Like I'm, I'm going to come out here. I'm going to die every day. <laughs> like it's going to stink, but it's going to be worth it in the end. And just having that to kind of trial through, I think it was good for me. And then obviously like the pandemic hits and mm-hmm. when we kind of weigh, you know, obviously all the cons that come with a global pandemic and how it affects just everyone in the world, but in the sporting realm, it gave a bunch of people the excess, you know, extra year to get better and, you know, you know, get back into it. Someone like you. So if we kind of look at the people who benefited the most from the extra year, you've definitely got to be among them because you're at this point of relearning the sport all over again and getting your body back used to it. So how did you make the most out of that, that extra year? So, yeah, no, I, I actually attribute everything and all my accomplishments to that extra year and just getting it, uh, being able to, I, I believe that the second year under Petros's training is the year that your body starts to actually respond to it and, and, you know, actually pump out the results that you want. And so, um, you know, it definitely took patience. I had a, uh, torn ligament in my ankle, uh, in 2018 that had been lingering there since 2016. I think I did it when I was competing and I, it healed and I didn't realize that I did it again in my first competition just because it was how I was planning my foot and stuff. And so it gave me a chance to get surgery and heal that up and then come all the way back and train again. Um, and then uh, so I, I kind of felt stronger, way stronger uh, just coming back at the end of 2020 when, uh, you know, we got to kick everything back up and just being in that college system and being able to train at a university where we got COVID tested every day. And so we had to, you know, stay in this bubble of a sense. I think it really helped me kind of bring my game to a next level. And so, um, I did end up getting a surgery again, the, uh, after last year, but that was because we found out that what was causing pain the whole time was just a bone spur and it wasn't the ligaments. And so once we got that out, I think everything was, was perfectly, I think I was ready to, to, to make a run at everything that I wanted to. So you waited yeah. until April, 2021 to finally get back and do a decathlon. Did you feel like the same race day nerves and anxiety as before? Oh my goodness. That was probably the most nervous I've been for a competition just because I knew that I had indoor competitions out there already. So everyone knew that I was better than I was in college. That was just the simple fact, but they didn't know how much better and they didn't know what I was going to do. And everyone was talking about it. Everyone was chirp and my parents were coming. My, my training partners were, everyone was just wondering what is Garrett going to put out there because he's just been training for two years. And so, um, like I told you about that bone spur, I mean, I was dealing with it heavy at that point. Like in, in between days, it was black and blue. It was 
crazy, but I, but it was, once again, it was a pain that I could push through because it was dull. It wasn't acute. And so, um, when I finished that decathlon, I've never felt worse in my entire life. Like my body was beat up. Like I couldn't move for like four or five days. I was, I was in my bed, like just watching Netflix, like not doing anything, just laying back. And so, um, you know, it was definitely a tough competition for me, but I, I did what I needed. I got the Olympic standard. Um, you know, I got my Olympic trials invite, like everything that I needed to do. And so all I needed to do was get healthy and get ready to compete in two months at uh, Olympic trials. So um, I think that my coach tells me that he's never had an athlete that looked more focused in two months of training than I did up to Olympic trials. I think that it's because I realized how bad I wanted it and uh, just exactly what I needed to do to get to get to it. Um, and then when I got to Olympic trials, it was all about execution. And so, um, it was definitely, like I said, that first decathlon, it hurt, but, uh, um, it was a good starting point for me just to put that kind of point total and know that there was so much work I could do. It's getting closer. It's May and the summer of Hayward is upon us. Again, stop waiting and get your tickets. Head on over to worldchampsoregon22.com slash tickets to lock up your spot. The championships run from July 15th to July 24th. You guys just saw how fast Arian Knighton just ran for the 200 meters. He ran 1949 at 18 years old. That's better than Usain Bolt did at that age. But the big question is, what's he going to do on the big stage? That's what we're all wondering. How does Noah Lyles respond? We've got some incredible sprinters from Africa posting some fast times in the 100, the 200, and the 400. Can they produce in July? The storylines are endless. You have to be there to see it for yourself. One of my favorite things that Oregon 22 is doing is that its Next Stop Oregon campaign is sharing some of those storylines. They're highlighting the inspirational tales of athletes from the U.S. as they get ready to compete for some medals. Their most recent video features Sarah Hall, who at 39 years old has to be a metal threat in the marathon on home soil. Get all of your information on Worlds by visiting worldchampsoregon22.com. That's worldchampsoregon22.com. See at Hayward. I went back and I looked at photos from the Olympic trials uh, from last year and just, you know, to work up a graphic, you know, that featured you. And the thing that struck me the most was just after the 1500, the emotion that poured out of you, like it was just straight on tears. As soon as you kind of got to that finish line, what was that kind of, what what was behind that? No, it was, I'm, I'm not a very, like, I don't, I don't cry a lot. I'm, I'm emotional. Like I, I, when I compete, I scream, I get into it, but like, uh, I can't remember. I think that's the only time I've ever cried in a competition. But like, it was just, like I told you, the feeling that you get when you finish a decathlon, I think that that makes you emotional. And on top of the fact that I had gone through all I had gone through, and this was what I wanted the whole entire time. And I, I knew that coming back, it was going to be a huge risk, just, uh, you know, financially, just with my leaving my family, everything. And so just being able to have that uh, validation that it all worked out. And then I accomplished one of my goals was to make the Olympics. And I think when I looked up, I saw my parents standing, they let them all in the front row. And so just seeing them, I just, I just kind of lost it. And, um, it was father's day too. And so my dad lost it. My dad's very emotional. 
Um, and so it just, it was, it was, like I said, the perfect storm of everything culminating together and just hitting me all at once that I did what I actually wanted to do. And I think that was huge for me in my life. In those two months that you were laser focused, was the visualization on that moment or was it on, were you already visualizing Tokyo? I think that someone gave me a, a good advice. It was Jared Wallace. He's um, a Paralympian um, and he was training at Georgia or he still does, but he said, Garrett, you're talented enough to be an Olympian. So don't almost think of Olympic trials as a stepping stone, a stepping stone. And don't put all your emphasis on that competition. And so that's kind of how I approached it. I knew that I had to take care of business, but I knew that my ultimate goal was to perform at the Olympics and perform to the best of my ability. But just in order to get to that point, I have to perform here and I have to do and execute what I know that I can. So um, I tried not to put as much emphasis because in 2016, it was like the end all be all competition of the world. I had to come in third, like this was everything. And so I just kind of went out there in 2021 and I just said, let's win this thing. Like, let's just go have fun and, and take care of business. That's all it is. And then from the gate, I mean, PB after PB, it was, it was perfect. So we get to Tokyo, no fans. It's a little bit like, you know, the Olympic experience. You, you talk to enough of these people that have been to two, three different games. They really talk down on the on the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. But for you, how did you savor that moment before? I mean, I hate to bring it up, but again, another bittersweet fourth place finish. Yeah, no, no, no. I, and it's listen, I've talked about it so many times. I thought it was for the circumstances and the pandemic we were under, I thought it was incredible. I thought it was awesome. I had a, I had a great time. Um, you know, the Olympic Village was big enough to have some freedom. You could walk around. You could do what you want. Uh, you could see friends. I mean, I know that there was a mask mandate, like everything we were doing um, was under a microscope. But at the same time, like Team USA's training camp was 45 minutes outside of the village. So we got to drive through Tokyo and I got to see, you know, the life that was going on outside of the village. Um the fan part of it probably would be the hardest to, to grasp because I am such an emotional uh, competitor and it was hard. Like I couldn't even get a clap going if I wanted to. And I was, I rely on that, that energy just to kind of keep me going through the competition and just not having my family there was huge. But at the same time, like getting the appreciation of hanging out with all these elite athletes that who nowadays I am close to, and I can talk to and, and I consider them my friends and, um, and just being able to, I mean, I, I met my girlfriend at the Olympics, so like that was our first time ever hanging out. And so I, I, I appreciate the Olympics more than anything. Um, and I think it just from a perspective of what we had to go through the two years before that, it was awesome. You know, and I, I loved flying on the plane for 16 hours and sprawling across seats and Raven Saunders brought her, uh, Xbox and everyone was playing Madden and GTA and stuff on the plane. And so it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I take a lot of memories from it. How does romance blossom in, in, in the Olympic village? Is it sort of like, uh, <laughs> let's, let's grab food at the cafeteria, which I hear is like vast, but like, what, what was the moment there? Yeah. So uh, it was, um, we always told each other, uh, her name is Georgia, Georgia Ellenwood. She competes for team Canada, but we told each other if we made the Olympics, we would hang out. And so it was such a far-fetched idea uh, that, you know, we would always say to each other and, and if it happened, it happened. 
while she just so happened to qualify by going to Europe for a whole month and competing in two different competitions. Like it, she, she got in, she did exactly what she needed to do. And, and when that happened, we just kind of put it on our schedule and, and went to go eat at the dining hall. And uh, we walked around the village, like took pictures on the, the, they had like some maritime museum and we took pictures on the water and stuff. And it was just, it was nice to get to know someone in that environment that was so down to earth and that, uh, we both had our minds on the biggest competition of our life, but at the same time, like we felt comfortable around each other to just relax and, and, you know, talk about things that weren't track and field. And so I think that that's where, you know, that we grew as, as friends more than anything else. And so, um, you know, I, I really do think that that was an important part of my Olympic experience just because it, it allowed me to be so relaxed in competition and, and just kind of know that someone else is going through the same thing I'm going through. And I just got to go out here and take care of business. We've, we've worked for this our whole entire life. Like this is supposed to be fun. And, um, and so I think that uh, the biggest, probably the biggest thing of having her was after the Olympics was because you train and, and you work your whole lives for a singular goal. And when that goal is done and over with now, what, you know, and so I think it was nice to have someone in that same position to kind of relay messages off of and and just learn each other's you know ways and, and thoughts, thought process in this situation. And uh, I think that was really important for our relationship because that's how we grew as friends um, and ultimately got into the point that we are at right now. So uh, Olympics was was awesome in that in that sense, just having her there. That's great. That's like a really cool story to hear because there is sort of that big discussion over the post-Olympic high of how do people sort of handle, you know, you envision this moment being so great and like a big goal. And once it's accomplished, like now what you've got to wait four more years until the next one, in this case, I guess three more years, but, and now it's sort of, you've locked in your spot for the next big sort of goal. So how do you kind of approach these next couple months? And has it been like as seamless as it, as it seems? So I, I, I want to say in my mind, it has been, I mean, obviously I had that, that kind of hiccup where I injured myself and almost all my confidence left me. I've, I've never felt more vulnerable in that situation because like it's so close to such a big competition and I've never been so injured this close to a big competition kind of thing. And so, um, like I said, going to that physical therapy place, it helped me get my confidence back. And it was exactly what I needed. It, was, it more so went from, all right, I have to survive this competition, come top three, just make the team, and then I'll be healthy enough to just show the world what I'm made of. It went from that to, I do not want to lose. I still want to keep the same fire that I have as a competitor and go out there and do the best that I can. And so um, just, it hasn't been as seamless as, as it looks. It's been a tough road, which is always a decathlon. Decathlon's always hard. Um, but I think approaching these next few months, Tomorrow, I'm actually leaving to go to Canada to uh, go see her and hang out my birthdays next week. So, um, you know, just have a nice time just to relax and, and recover mentally and physically. Um, but then when I get back, I think it's going to be some of the most serious training I've ever had in my life. And just knowing that the goal that I want is to bring American decathletes back to that gold medal standard and knowing that we're always contending for that gold medal. And I know that at the Olympics, you know, I had a great competition, you know, fourth place is nothing to hang your head on. But at the same time, I, I see flaws in my performance, places that I could have been better mentally. I feel like I could have been a lot just 
mentally stronger for the first four events of, of the decathlon. And I think that that's what I've been working on this year, indoors and outdoors indoors, you know, was some of the best competitions I've ever had to this year. And so um, I think just approaching worlds is just knowing that I got to go out there. It's on home soil. Everyone's going to be cheering for us. Like we're going to have that USA on our chest and and everyone's going to know that like we're at home and this is the place to do it. And so I cannot wait. I'm going to, it's going to be so much fun. It's probably going to be the most fun competition I've ever had. And so I'm, um, I just think I have to be smart. I have to stay healthy and, and just make it to the point where I'm peaking at the right time. So you said the first four events are where you see the biggest area of improvement. So like, how do, I guess the question is, how do we close the gap on someone like, like Damian Warner or like Kevin Mayer getting back, you know, to top form? Like, is, is it those four events? I think that I honestly, I think more so was two of the events that I broke through um, this past week was the long jump yeah. and the discus. If I can keep those two strong, um, I think that that I'm going to always be contending up above 8,800. I mean, like the points will be up there. Um, so I think it's important for me to start off with a bang, maybe get my speed back to where it needs to be. It's kind of been hard to sprint when I was injured and and get everything, you know, in training that I needed in that. But uh, I think that starting off with a good 100 and then coming back with a good long jump sets me up in the place where I need to be because shot put is one of my best events. And I'm always throwing at least over 16 meters. And that is um, that can kind of separate me from the field. If I can get 16 mid and closer to 17 meters, I think that that's going to be where I can catch people. And high jump too is honestly something that I felt awesome in this past um, uh, competition. And I haven't felt awesome in it in a long time. So um, I think I'm getting really close to a breakthrough there. And I think that that's, I mean, there's a lot of points in the high jump. So even two heights are, 70 points. So like that's, that's, uh, that's something where I think I can gain back a lot of points and be up there with those guys. Is there anything like kind of the, now that you will have fans like in the stands, like, is there a particular event that you really kind of feed off of and need them the most just to kind of cast it out there? Like right now, give enough of a warning. I was like, Hey guys, like I need you on this high jump. Yeah, I would say high jump. Definitely. Um, that's where you get, cause you're on that fourth event, the day's getting kind of long and you need that extra boost. Um, I usually get a clap in the long jump too, because of how it's been uh, just a love hate relationship with it. And the more energy I have, the better I'm going to jump. Um, and then I'll get it for the pole vault. I think it's the three jumps that that I always kind of need it for just because you're at a low, you're standing still and you need to get hype and ready to go. So I, I do feed off the energy of the crowd. And I, I'm, I cannot wait to hear the claps and how loud it's going to be when, when we're ready to go. And Eugene. Yeah. Cause I mean, for sure, like last two Tokyo, no fans this time around, not as many fans you're yeah. in for the loudest competition you've, you've seen in a while. Um, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I'm ready for it. All right. I'll hit you with the final questions that I ask every guest. The first one is what's the funniest drug testing story you've got. Funniest drug testing story I have. I would probably say, huh, let's see. Actually, I'm going to, I'll go ahead and say uh, this past one was, was funny. It was right after the competition and I know, so I, at the Olympics, I, I want to say I hold the world record for drug testing, getting in and out because at the Olympics, I said in the back of my mind, I was like, I know I'm going to get drug tested. I am not going to go to the bathroom before this race. 
And so I went to the 1500, I ran and we did our victory lap and I went right off, took me 14 minutes and 26 seconds to, to get through everything, the paperwork, everything. And so I did that again this weekend and um, I was thinking to myself, okay, let's not, I, I obviously don't go to the bathroom because I know we're going to get tested. Let's just get it out of the way. And as I was thinking that Kyle is going to the back to go to the bathroom right before the 1500. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's a mistake, rookie mistake. And then all of a sudden, so at the end we're getting tested and um, I'm looking at Kyle and Zach and they're just standing on the wall because neither of them have to go to the bathroom. And so I'm like, yeah, you guys messed up, man. I didn't go before the race. And so I just got in, got out. And I think like 30 minutes later, they were still sitting in there. And so I, I just kind of gave him a bunch of mess for it. But that's pretty funny. You, know, was, you got so I mean you, know. you can credit that 435 PR from from Tokyo in the 1500 is just you know I had to go, go to the bathroom. <laughs> exactly, exactly, because I had to go to the bathroom, and I don't know if I had to go as bad for this competition because I, I for some reason my legs weren't working the same. <laughs> I tell you that right now. Goodness, yeah, that 1500 it it hurt. I think I was um, I was on pace. So I obviously wanted to run faster, but I think I was on pace. Um, I think I came through the 1K at like 3.04 or something. So on pace for 4.30s. And then the last 400 meters, I mean, my goodness. It was like the whole competition came crashing on my legs. And people started passing me with 200 to go. Come on, Garrett. Come with me, man. Come with me. I'm like, how are you guys talking right now? <laughs> like, I'm dying. I am dying. Then the last hundred, it just felt like someone held a torch to my hamstrings and my legs and they were on fire. So that was, um, yeah, it, it took me a while to get off the track after the race. I was, I was kind of, my mom drenched water on me, couldn't breathe. Like it was, it was definitely a process, but once again, I'm proud of myself, proud of the score. And there's nothing that I've, I've changed about that competition. Yeah. Only 10 seconds off your PR, 446. Yeah. 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 Which I mean, that's all things shoot. considered. Yeah. That all things considered is not bad. It's I think it's the best opener I've ever had in a 1500, but I just expect more out of myself now. And so uh, obviously the competition and, and the, the, the adrenaline and everything and whatever comes with it, you never know how your legs are going to respond in the end. And I think that's what eventually caught up to me. Um, but I think I'll be ready for, for more at worlds and, and be able to chase medals. So, yeah, I mean, then again, like there's, that's where there's more points now. I mean, we kind of were talking about it before we started recording about just like how much a decathlete has to pack for all these different events, whether it's like the poles, you know, the spikes and all that. I'm curious because like when you made this sort of return to the sport in 2019, it is sort of that jumping off point with the spikes getting better and the like technology advancing. Did you, Was that also like a noticeable sort of difference from like when you your last one was in 2016 at the trials and then now you're working with different equipment in 2021 has that also been like a small portion of you know your progression right yeah no so i would say the equipment would be the same um obviously in pole vault you can get longer poles and stuff and i have i have in turn gotten longer poles to go for higher heights um but the shoes are just ridiculous I think that the sprint spikes are awesome with the bubble. Um, the long jump spikes, I cannot long jump in them. I, I think that, so I, I did it at the Olympics and I didn't bring, so it's the long jump spikes with the bubble and I didn't bring my other pair. And so I had to jump in those and it was almost like feeling a dead spot. And so I think it's just more so how your foot strikes the ground and, um, and just reaction time off the ground. And I don't think it was a good fit for me. So I went back to the older spikes 
um, for long jump. And those have been awesome. And I mean, I just PB this weekend, this past weekend in the long jump. So um, it's definitely noticeable. All the, everything is, is getting more high tech. The uniforms are, are ridiculously awesome. And, and just like, I love the, the material of them and just how cool and how fast we look in it. So everything just kind of feels a little more upgraded. Um, but I think that also comes with how well you do in the sport and being, be, getting access to that type of, uh, you know, uniform or, or spike and stuff. So I think it's awesome. Uh, next question I ask every guest <laughs> is if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a nice little conversational pace with you, uh, they don't have to be a runner. They don't even have to be like a real person. Where would the run take place and who'd it be with? Hmm. That is a, uh, that's a tough question, but I think anyone in history, Oh, listen, I have, uh, modeled, I wouldn't say modeled, but, but admired the career of LeBron James. I'm a very, very big, uh, LeBron fan. I think that what the way he carries himself, the way he, um, you know, takes care of his body, the way he competes day in and day out. I think that that is, something that we should all strive to be as, as professional athletes and just kind of the pressure that he was under uh, as a young child and, and not being able to mess anything up basically and how perfect he's kind of been in the public eye. I mean, yeah, he has his, we have his diff- differences. I, there's stuff I disagree with him on, but at the same time, just for him to be so smart and be a family guy and, and stay out of trouble, I think is really, really um, admirable of him. And so I would definitely, uh, I don't know if he'd keep up, but no, nah, he could keep up. He's definitely an awesome athlete. Um, and so I think that if you've ever seen the the uh, the commercials of him with the whole city yep. running behind him like that. So I guess, you know, that'd be, that'd be fun to just kind of go on a run with him, go on a bike ride with him. Where would it take uh, place? Where would it take place? I think my favorite place uh, in the world would have to be I really did enjoy going to Austria in in Gots in Gotsis. Um, I think it's just it's so remote and it's so just completely different from anything I've ever experienced land wise. And so, I mean, I'm from Jacksonville. Everything's flat, but then in Austria, you got a mountain right behind the track. You can you have trails everywhere. I think it's just an incredible place to be, and it's really peaceful and. Um, I think that's that's one of my favorite places in the world so far. I like that. But I get to go to to Cabo. Um, in August, it would be a nice trip for about a week. So, um, who knows, maybe that turns into my favorite, my favorite next, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, so LeBron James in, in, uh, Gotsis, Austria. Great answer. Yes. There we go. Philosopher on your wall that you've got. Oh, so that would be, um, wait, which one you talking about on the door or the other one, the, the head bus. That's me. That's you. That's me right there. Yeah, that's a that's a uh, someone drew it. Someone drew a, a painting of me, and my mom put it on a uh, on a canvas, and I hung it on my wall. But then uh, that's Michael Jordan. Okay. So I obviously have respect for MJ. I know I'm a LeBron fan, but I'm not naive enough to know that they're both just insanely incredible. But it says to learn to succeed, you must first learn to fail. And so I think that 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 is the way that I have gone about everything in my life. Um, and so I, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's something that I, I live by. And I also have Kobe Bryant right there. It says mama mentality on it. And it says, uh, mama mentality is all about focusing on the process and trusting in the hard work when it matters the most. So 
Just, you know, things that, that I, I walk into my game room. I know I, I, I play uh, PC games, Destiny 2, all this stuff a lot, but I can look up on my wall. LeBron's right here. can look up on my walls and just it's a reminder of what, what I've been through and, and, you know, what's next. So so you'd appreciate this one. This is a special question for you because when I was at Sports Illustrated uh, for six and a half years, it was during that time Ashton retired. And I remember... Yeah. I wrote the story about Ashton's retirement, just like the news brief, you know, as soon as it happened. And when I sent out the email to the social media team and to people to tease it, I was like, world's greatest athlete retires. We get that. But the yeah. people on that social media team were like, what do you mean world's greatest athlete? Like, and it just caused this debate in the newsroom where everyone was perking up, you know, from their cubicle being like, wait, no, 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 no. Like LeBron's the world's greatest athlete or Messi's the right. world's greatest athlete. And I had to make the case for Ashton. And so later, and you know, the newsroom was just, you know, steaming with hot takes there. So from your standpoint, as someone who admires LeBron, but also, you know, is in the same career field as someone like Ashton, how do you tackle that sort of debate? If it was, you know, sitting at a bar and someone's like, we're arguing who's the world's greatest athlete, both of them in their peak when I presented it to Ashton, he was like, it's a great argument. And like, you know, the track, you have your way of measuring, you know, how good someone is right. like in certain ways, LeBron could be just, you know, as good in certain events or whatever. He's like, the, it comes down to maybe possibly developing a new skill and who can catch onto right. it best and uh, as quickly as possible. And so he was like, that's maybe how you settle that sort of argument. So like, how, how, how do you kind of go about when this world's greatest athlete term gets applied to a decathlete, how do you explain that to your, your friends at a bar? I mean, I, I completely get both sides, right? I mean, LeBron is just, he's an insane athlete. You could even argue Giannis, like just the freakishly, the, the, the size with how fast they can move and how high they can jump. I think that basketball players are some of the most athletic people on the planet. I think that that's probably the most athletic sport just because of, you know, the fast twitches you have to have, the explosiveness you have to have. Um, but I, when it comes to to the decathlon, I believe that it's the greatest measured athlete in the world. Um, just because it's something that everyone has to learn. You know, you have, you have the same events. They're in the same order. They're, they're getting measured the same up against the scale. So it is literally the most measured athlete and the best one. And so I, I think that, that it is the greatest athlete on the planet just because of the sense of everything's being measured to a scale. And if LeBron wants to, obviously he would never do a decathlon, but like if, if you put him in a decathlon that he trained for, for, a year, I'm sure that he would put up some ridiculous score when he was in his prime. Right. But it's just like, it's, it's hard to argue anything like that because that would never happen. Yeah. And so it's just one of those things that you have to just kind of take it on both sides and just say, I, I understand. <laughs> I understand from both perspectives. I really do. Because I, I can tell you right now, there's a picture of him doing his windmill Kobe dunk in, um, in, in LA it's on my wall. And I, I'm not doing that. So <laughs> I can't do that. I'll tell you that right now. And in prime time too. So there's a lot of different factors that you got to think of. Final question is basketball related. Uh, you get 25 shots from half court on a full-size basketball court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? 100%. Okay. 
Honey, I, I, yes, I think that if in 25 shots, so um, in high school, um, my, or actually I'll, I'll call it middle school. My brother played, he was four years older than me. So he played varsity basketball and we always have the half court shot uh, at halftime. And it was uh, to win a hungry Howie's pizza. And when I tell you, I won probably six of those at the home games, it was always, uh, I, sometimes I'd have to buy it twice, but I can make a half court shot. I, I know that I'd be able to make one in 25 shots. And so now I think in the next couple of days, I'm going to go to a, a basketball court and see if I can do it. Yeah. Attempt it. Tag us in the video. Here. And yeah, we'll, we'll send you the 25 million. <laughs> All right, cool. There we go. I like it. <laughs> Garrett, I appreciate you taking the time for this. Uh, I'm excited for the next couple of months to come for you to kind of get locked in in training all over again and then put on a show in front of the home crowd at, at Hayward. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I really do appreciate you having me. I just want to shout out the U.S. Decathlon um, Team USA. You know, we're going to we're going to put on a show at Worlds. Um, I want to shout out my family, my mom, my dad, uh, my brother, my girlfriend, Georgia, uh, and just and just my whole uh, support system. And and I can't wait to see what what happens this year. So appreciate you, man. The Sidious Mac Podcast is a production of the Sidious Mac Podcast Network. It is produced and edited by Mike Zerzolo. Did you enjoy this episode enough to dish out a couple bucks? Support Sidious Mag by pledging any dollar amount over on patreon.com slash Mag to join our loyal legion of backers who keep this show going strong. If you're on your phone right now, you can also open up the Venmo app and hit us with a one-time donation to at Mag. We've also got merch over on SidiousMag.com. Any way you can show your support goes a long way. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you next time.